Welcome to the My Psychology Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Andy Pomerantz, and I'm a psychology professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. I also happen to be the author of the My Psychology textbook from Macmillan Learning. In each episode of this podcast, instructors from various colleges and universities join me to talk about the most important and most interesting parts of the chapter to help you understand and appreciate them. As we do, we will share some stories about our own experiences with concepts from the chapter from inside or outside of the classroom. Okay, I'm happy to be joined by two other instructors who also teach introductory psychology classes using the same My Psychology textbook. First, we've got Dr. Jessamy Comer. She is a lecturer in the Department of Psychology at the Rochester Institute of Technology up in Rochester, New York. Hi, Jessamy. Hello, how are you? Great, thanks for being with us. And we also have Dr. Deborah Roberts. She is a professor and the chair of the psychology department at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how are you? Great, great. Thanks, thanks for being with us. So we are focusing on the stress and health chapter, chapter 11 uh, today. So here's a quick summary of chapter 11, stress and health. It starts by defining stress, stressors, the fight or flight response, and the ways we appraise stress. It then explains the mind-body connection involved in stress, basically the ways that both body and mind are damaged by stress, especially for people with certain personality characteristics. The next section explains how the experience of stress can be different for diverse people, including people of different genders, ethnicities, and ages. The chapter ends with two sections on coping with stress, one that focuses on the psychological and social strategies like problem-focused and emotion-focused coping, mindfulness, social support, and optimism, and another section that focuses on physical and medical strategies for coping with stress, including exercise and complementary and alternative medicine. So I'll start with you, uh, Deborah Roberts. What's a topic from Chapter 11 that you think is especially important for students to know? Yeah, I really think it's important to differentiate between stress and stressor. And it's one of the main areas that you mentioned that would be covered in the textbook. But I wanted to, you know, just emphasize that just because something is stressful to you, it doesn't mean it's necessarily stressful to somebody else. So stress is defined as the physical or psychological reaction to a circumstance, sometimes a person, an event, and it's usually perceived as something that's challenging for you. But the stressor is the event or the person or the change in your life that usually brings up or brings on the stressful reaction. So I really think it's important for students to understand that just because you may be experiencing something that is perceived by others as challenging. For example, being in your first big lecture hall of 200 students in an intro psych class and you come from a small town and you know somebody else may come from a big town, this can be really intimidating to people. And this, for all intents and purposes, could be perceived as a stressor or defined as a stressor. But how you respond to that situation can either be stressful or not. And so that's what we define as stress, which is how you are reacting physically or psychologically to that. I think it's really important to just emphasize that a stressor is simply a variable in the environment. So it doesn't have to cause stress. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think stress and stressors get a bad rap. 
you know, as you said, in society, with oh, stress is bad. You know, it, it's almost synonymous with bad. Um, you know, we talk about it all the time. I'm so stressed. It's so horrible. Uh, but that feeling of discomfort you feel with a stressor, if you can appraise it uh, in a healthy way that, you know, this exam is not necessarily this horrible thing here to destroy you. Uh, it's a challenge to you and that you can meet this challenge as, oh, this is an opportunity for me to show what I've learned, but I really got to bunker down and study for it, then it really just kind of provides you that motivation to act. And so, you know, I, I always try and tell my students, those appraisals that you make, that your evaluations are critical. If you look at that exam and appraise it as an opportunity for you to show what you've learned and you, you view it as, yes, it's a challenge, but you can handle it. But if you instead appraise it as a threat to you that this is, you know, dangerous, if I, you know, fail this exam, I'm going to drop out of college and, you know, go live in a van down by the river or something like that, well, then, um, you know, you might become so frightened of this that you don't study or you can't focus while studying because you're so busy worrying about this threat. So really, if you can learn how to frame your appraisals in a healthy way to, to appraise these stressors as opportunities uh, for growth and as a challenge, uh, you'll probably be okay. Yeah. Stress as opportunity. Yeah. It, it reminds me, there's a term that comes up in the book, eustress, uh, spelled E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. -E um, it's interesting that that term pops up in the book under the heading of post-traumatic growth. So like we're talking about like PTSD, like post-traumatic stress disorder, when people go through traumatic things and end up with serious symptoms and serious problems. But then there's sort of a complementary section of the book that talks about post-traumatic growth, how people sometimes go through traumatic events and come out having grown from the experience, having having benefited from the experience. And a lot of a lot of psychologists would explain that growth, that post-traumatic growth as as you stress. I really like that section, Andy, because I think when we hear PTSD, everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, chronic anxiety for the rest of your life. And you present it as something that, you know, yes, is unfortunate to go through a traumatic event, but some people sort of are better for coming out of it. So like, you know, the Phoenix rising out of the ashes or, yeah, I really, I think that students should pay attention to that section to understand that some stress is motivating. Yeah, definitely. Jessamy, what's another topic from chapter 11 that you wanted to, to bring up? Yeah, I think uh, one that um, sometimes confuses my students, but after looking at it more carefully becomes more intuitive is the topic of general adaptation syndrome. I spend a lot of time trying to talk to students about what happens to you physiologically when you're under chronic stressors. And, you know, I always use the example of why is everybody sick at finals time? And if you apply general adaptation syndrome to it, it suddenly starts to make a lot of sense um, as it explains that we go through this kind of three-stage process under chronic stress, where in the first stage, the alarm stage is just the initial fight or flight response. So, you know, when it dawns on you, wow, I've got, you know, four papers and, you know, you have three major exams coming up, um, your body gears up in fight or flight, and uh, you can't exactly escape from them <laughs> the way you might want to. So your body has to endure into the resistance phase as you're continually stressed out, worrying about these papers and exams and group projects, whatever else you have going on. But there comes a point when you just can't 
keep that fight or flight response going and you hit the exhaustion phase and that's where you become more vulnerable to uh, getting sick. So uh, all of those little bacteria, viruses, all of that stuff can invade your system since your fight or flight response has been basically suppressing the immune system uh, since it shuts down all unnecessary uh, systems, the immune system being one of them. You're not building all of your body's defenses during this time of stress and um, you know as time's going on, they're getting worn down so when you hit the exhaustion phase, you know, that, that little cold virus gets introduced into the dorms by somebody and it runs rampant as everybody's body is overstressed and exhausted. The immune systems have weakened themselves uh, and suddenly everybody seems to be sick right at finals time. It's not in your imagination. This uh, really makes sense when it comes to that general adaptation syndrome. Yeah, it's such an important topic. It's a classic topic in the, in the stress and health literature, but it's so important. Deborah, any thoughts about the about that topic? Yeah, so uh, you know, I think it's important to emphasize that fight or flight is an option, but the reason that the body becomes so stressed is because we can't exercise either option, and so it it just sort of overloads our system. And you mentioned colds. I sort of pride myself on not getting sick that often. You know, I try to be mindful of things. I try to you know take care of myself, but sometimes you don't realize that this is happening to you, you know, even as somebody who's educated about the impact of stress on your system. And, you know, a few years ago, my mother was really, really ill, deathly ill. She's okay now. But so I remember it like it was yesterday and I got that call that, you know, she had fallen ill and a couple of days later she had been moved to the ICU and I'm thinking I'm managing it okay. You know, I have an older brother who's there, but he has four kids and a wife, and, you know, so I'm sort of flying back and forth and still, luckily it was at the end of the semester. So I'd given a lot of my exams and so forth, but you know, I'm thinking, okay, thank goodness. I'm looking at the positives at the end of the semester. I have the flexibility as a professor to do this, go back and forth. And I'm like, I'm managing this really well. And just being there back as she was in the ICU for about six weeks. And I realized that when all was said and done, I was getting colds. <laughs> like, you know, and I don't usually get colds. So I realized what was happening to me was that general um, adaptation syndrome is there was the alarm. And I'm not thinking the consequences and my body paid a price. And then it caught up with me and my immune system, I think, was just shot. Yeah, it's it's thanks. Thanks for that story. Yeah. And, and glad to hear that your mother recovered. Thanks. Yeah, the um, yeah, that exhaustion phase of, of the general adaptation syndrome, it, it hits. I mean, we 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 sometimes tend to think that that it won't. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will continue talking about Chapter 11, the chapter on stress and health. The My Psychology Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad from Macmillan Learning. When I wrote My Psychology, I wanted students to maximize their connection to the science of psychology, and Launchpad does just that. It's the one place where you can find the full ebook of My Psychology, features like My Take videos, chapter apps, and show me more links, and Macmillan's full library of resources, including videos, flashcards, concept practice activities, and more. Best of all, Launchpad includes the Learning Curve Adaptive Quizzing System, designed based on cognitive research to improve your learning and help you retain information over time. In addition, the Learning Curve algorithm chooses questions based on your performance, delivering a quiz that is unique to you. If you aren't using Launchpad already, you can sign up for a free trial right now. 
That's right. You can get 21 days of free access right now by visiting launchpadworks.com and searching for my psychology. That's launchpadworks.com. Sign up now for your 21 days of free access and start studying with the Learning Curve Adaptive Quizzing System. Welcome back. Uh, we are here discussing Chapter 11, Stress and Health, in the My Psychology textbook. And my name is Andy Pomerantz. I'm a psychology professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, and I'm also the author of the My Psychology textbook. And with me today, I have Dr. Jessamy Comer. She is a lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York. And Dr. Deborah Roberts, she is a professor and chair of the Department of Psychology at Howard University in Washington, D.C. I'll bring up another topic from Chapter 11 that I think is especially important, and that is the, the concept of uh, primary appraisal versus secondary appraisal. And so this, you know, just, just to refresh, uh, refresh students' memories, these are two different ways of appraising a situation that could be stressful. Primary appraisal is when you look at the event itself and you, you, you determine how stressful is this event. Secondary appraisal is when you look at yourself and you determine how capable you are of handling this situation. And that comparison, you know, how bad is this versus how strong am I, is so important. And in my experience, both personally and through stories my students have told, and by the way, stories my, my clients have told, as a clinical psychologist with, some, with a lot of private practice experience, I had quite a few clients express this too. Sometimes we overestimate the importance of the primary appraisal. Like we look at this thing that is happening to us, this event, this, this, you know, whatever's happening in our lives. And we just sort of, we just sort of dread it and think about how difficult it's going to be, how challenging it's going to be, how impossible it's going to be. And we don't deliberately stop and do that secondary appraisal where we like focus on ourselves and think like, wait, can I do this? Like, can I handle this? Am I, am I strong enough to do that? Oftentimes when people pause and deliberately do a, um, a, a fair secondary appraisal where they really give themselves credit for how, how resilient they are, how tough they are, how, how capable they are. They can sometimes come to the conclusion like, wait, this is going to be bad, but I can do this. Like I, I've, I've done similar things in the past. I'm, I'm up to, I'm up for this. This is not necessarily going to overwhelm me. So yeah, I, I, when I when I talk about these concepts in class, the primary appraisal and the secondary appraisal, I, I, I try to get students to appreciate the value of both. So, Jessamy, thoughts about the primary and secondary appraisal topic? Yeah, so I think one thing to, to think about with secondary appraisals is that people sometimes aren't very good at uh, judging themselves. Um, you know, so I even think back when I talk about emotions and I talk about impact bias and that, you know, we tend to underestimate our resilience uh, that, you know, when something bad happens, if you, if you ask somebody, you know, if, if, you know, you were struck with cancer or something like that, how, how well do you think you cope? People are like, Oh, I would be just devastated. You know, I would be fall into depression for months and years and it would be horrible. When the reality is when you see people get, you know, hit with things like that, they're actually pretty resilient. Uh, so I, I tend to remind my students that, you know, don't fall victim to this, like you are stronger than you think you are. And like you guys have said, you know, you need to, to look to your own personal resources. Um, and your strengths are different from other people's strengths. And you need to consider that. So yeah, reminding people like prompting them to think about just how resilient and how strong they are could be so so powerful and so helpful to them. And if you take it a step farther than that, and you 
ask them to try to think of evidence of, of examples from their own personal history where they have been resilient. So that's all of that is to say that the secondary appraisal part, not just the primary appraisal part, but the secondary appraisal part where you where you consider yourself and how much you can how much you bring to the table as far as your ability to to handle a stressor is just super important, I think. I really wanted to just mention stress and diversity because we mentioned how different people respond to the stress, but I think you did a really nice job in the chapter, Andy, of, of really pointing out the different components of how we as diverse people respond to stress or even perceive what is stressful and what is not and you know our ability to deal with it. One of the terms that I, I think might be intriguing and informative for a lot of students is a culture of stress, the notion of a culture of stress, where we're basically trying to balance the stressors or stress from one culture and the stress from another culture. And just understanding that, you know, everybody, regardless of what it is, everybody has stress in their environment, everybody perceives things as stressful. But if we can identify stressors or stress in, in one culture and the stress in another culture, whether it's a culture that we're um, immigrating to or moving from one part of the country to another, understanding that there are definitely ways of dealing with that and managing our stress in both cultures is, is usually the most effective way <laughs> to deal with stress in our life. So understanding that different people deal with stress, stressful situations differently, and there are different ways of coping with those stressful situations and that, you know, it's possible to kind of, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, code switch, <laughs> deal with the stressors differently depending on what the situation calls for. So, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's such an important topic in the chapter. Well, one thing that we've kind of, uh, yeah, touched on as well, but I think is really important is uh, the topic of all those different coping strategies you brought up at the end. Um, one reason I like this chapter and uh, one reason my students like it is it has such kind of practical implications for students. Um, you know, students are super stressed out. There's a lot going on in their lives. Uh, and this is one chapter where you can really take the strategies that have been presented here and make them your own. So it provides lots of different opportunities for students to look at different ways that they might not have thought about before that they could use to manage stress. So even simple things like exercising as a, a stress management tool that, you know, maybe you hadn't thought about it before, but maybe if you're really worried about exams or papers and you feel kind of burnt out, maybe go for a jog and, you know, maybe just a 30 minute jog around campus might be enough to kind of clear your mind and, and reduce some of those stress hormones and you find you get back to your, your dorm room and suddenly you feel better and you might be able to focus a little bit more. So, you know, I know a lot of my students are not psychology majors. I come from Rochester Institute of Technology. I'm working with engineers, graphic designers, people like that. They're like, ah, what am I going to use psych for? Well, this is the type of stuff you use psych for that you can, you can, you know, pick up some of these strategies that maybe you haven't thought about before and apply them in your everyday life. Um, so I think that whole section at the end of the, the chapter talking about different techniques you might try to cope with stress uh, can be really beneficial for any student of psychology. Yeah, I agree. And I, 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 as, I, as I wrote the book, I, I certainly tried to emphasize the personal application of psychology, the personal relevance of it, this chapter in particular. It was, it was easy to do. I mean, it's, it's just so... Um, the, the content of the chapter is just so relevant to all of our personal lives and, and certainly to, to, to students' personal lives 
whether they ever take another psychology class or not, as long as they continue to, to, to be a human being who, who has to deal with the issues of stress and health, this chapter on stress and health is going to be relevant to them. So, so thanks to, to, to both our guests uh, today. Again, we've been talking with Dr. Deborah Roberts. She's a professor and chair of the Department of Psychology at Howard University in Washington, D.C., and with Dr. Jessamy Comer. She's a lecturer in the Department of Psychology at the Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York. And thanks to all of you for listening. We hope this podcast helps you learn and appreciate the material in this chapter. Of course, you should check with your own instructor to see what's most important in your own class. And for more resources for studying this chapter, check out Launchpad at launchpadworks.com. Talk to you again soon.